New on CuriosityStream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. You know, fateful spring forward daylight savings Sunday morning. Like who's who didn't we decide to abolish this stupid somebody somewhere screwed up big time, right? I don't understand this at all. It makes no sense. We tell we tell everyone else in the world that we've got this daylight savings time and that we're either six or ten or eleven or seven hours ahead of them or behind them, all these different times of, of year. And we're just confusing people, you know. But do when I, when it's winter and I'm already depressed, okay? Like, do I need less sunlight? Is that the idea here? You know what it comes down to? It came down to like train schedules back, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever it was, right? That the like train when schedules... they were seeing into the into the horizon, like the sun. I read about it one time a long time ago and can't give you the whole history on it, right? Well, but you heard there was, it here there first. was train there was train schedules involved, and uh, you know, it's basically just like, well, we're used to it now, and, and it's hard it's hard to shift back, right? Once you've uh, done this for so long. What a great a segue! You're talking about runaway trains, huh? Yeah. What but the sh- Thank you. Thank you. What the hell's going on, man? If I feel like everybody's freaking out, but people are just still buying everything. I think it's going to crash. You, Take my money. Take my money. This thing's I, I going can tell down. You, I can tell you firsthand this week was crazy. We had uh, 15 offers on one place, sold 460,000 over asking. I was telling the sellers like, what? One Hold three, on. like I was like one three was like a really good number because the house was dated and places that sold for over one three were totally renovated. And I was like, let's 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 expect, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. And, and what'd you uh, get? But we'll we'll find out. A million four sixty, Midland and Eglinton. Yeah. How many offers? Nine, Fifteen. <laughs> so yeah. mid so people are saying like the outskirts are slowing down, but Midland and Eglinton. Midland and Eglinton, great street, great right. house, but original everything, 50 years old, everything. There wasn't one thing in there that was that was updated and very clean, nice house, you know, original owners. So that's what people like. Great street, great area, whatever. But definitely the price was like, wow, that's crazy. And the thing is, there was a lot of people up in that price point. There were several people over one four. So it tells me, you know, this is the consensus really? with is, their, is in. With- with their original bid, people were all, there was multiple people over one four. Original bid? No, just the one guy came in originally, but then several people who were over one three came over one four in the second round. So tell me, what is like the average jump from first bid to second bid? Well, it's funny. The first place guy only jumped less than $10,000 because he was at his top price and he strategized too. So I, I'll give him some credit here. Um, Did he you know, win? Really divulging too much. Yeah. So he, okay. he came in last. So he registered early, but he didn't send his offer until he knew there was 15 offers. So he said, okay, I'm going against 14 people. So now let's send in our best. Let's not play any games. And he sent it to me. 
So when I went back to everybody and I just said, look, we're just, we're doing our second round. If it's not your best, make sure. And sometimes people improve, sometimes they don't. And, and this guy said, I'll improve a little bit, very small amount of money, basically saying like, look, this really was my best. And, and he was the one who got it. Um, whereas other wow. people, uh, the biggest one that, that went up was um, probably close to 200,000. From first bid to second bid? Yeah. He went up 200,000. Why was he allowed in the, se- in the second bid to begin with if he was that far off? What do you mean? He jumped up 200,000. Imagine if I didn't. If I why didn't was he given him. a chance? He was so far away. Well, that's because I'm a good agent. And that's the sellers uh-huh. hire me to make sure that I get as much information as possible from why not like buyers out there. Five rounds then. Why not? Hey, okay, guys, this is the last one. I swear to God, this is the <laughs> last one. There's a, there's a line. There's a line. And you want to you have integrity and you want people to want to you know, come to your listings again in the future and that you treat them fair. So that's definitely a big part of it. But almost every offer that I've made for buyers, I send my offer in. I get no communication. I'm talking about almost everyone. Like almost everyone. I, I, I want to say everyone, but I'll say almost everyone. Um, I get no communication from the seller's agent. And then I just get like some weird message through Broker Bay a few hours later that says they accepted some other offer. And they never even came back to me to tell me what it is. Like, you know, like they never said anything to me. They're just lazy. They don't want it too far off. You're a waste of time. But this guy just went up $200,000. How do they know my guy wouldn't have gone up $200,000? That's fucking, that's crazy. How do they not know that? They don't know. Who's his agent? What kind of a strategy is that? That's a horrible strategy. They're lucky that you were the agent and let them in because I'll bet you most people wouldn't have. I mean, the guy didn't win. He didn't win. He just came back, just got more famished by the whole thing. Just like, oh God, I even come up 200,000 more and I still can't get a house. This is horrible. Yeah. Offer offer dates like a full, it's like a, it's a full-time commitment when you do offer dates. This is remember We used to do them in person. So I'd be there at the house and sometimes I'd have 20 offers and there's a lineup down the street with cars. Now it's just through like phone calls and emails and still it takes all day to be able to get, to get the results, get the best results. It's crazy. So we have like lots of stories of uh, uh, pricing strategies changing all over the place. And then we hear, you know, condos are selling like crazy and like everything yeah. seems just rip roaring regardless of everybody going like, like, Hey, like this thing can't keep going. This is crazy. And, and speaking mm-hmm. of which, we have a wonderful That's guest. We got our guest today. Wonderful guest today. He's waiting yep. in the waiting room. Now, this would be long. a perfect time while you're waiting for this thing to, to work to, to subscribe to the channel, grow with us, this wonderful, beautiful family of ours here at the Canadian Real Estate Show. Hit that subscribe button, hit the bell, and TK, what's not to like? Hit that thumbs up button, buddy. Yeah. Every time, you know, even if you want to hit the down, the down button, go ahead. Just do something. React. Hit a button. Like it's an hour. It's like an hour. Do something with your time. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you can listen to us. That's good too. We like that. But press a button. It helps so much. TK, we're on fire here at the Canadian Real Estate Show. One guest at a time. One guest at a time. One guest at a time. Welcome, Luke. We do have Luke here. He is. Can you see me? He's logging in. I can hear you. I can see you. We can see him. Hello. We we appreciate. When when I'm doing these invites, Luke, I always, I never take into uh, account uh, one time zones and two daylight savings. Oh yeah, I noticed that. I was like today killed this morning. but you know what? It's just one of those things. I'm more of an early mornings guy, so it's better that you're catching me in the morning than later at night, where I'm like 
just done. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm the same. Good, good. I'm the yeah, same. Whenever we plan to do something in the afternoon, I'm always kind of, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enough already. I'm, I'm up in the morning. Let's do this. So good to meet you. Welcome yeah, to the show. Nice to meet you too. Absolutely. I'll give you a little intro, Luke. So, you know, Luke from Luke Smith uh, on YouTube. Uh, you got a great channel, lots of followers, lots of uh, posts. You're consistent. You're, you're, you're a good YouTuber. You know, you're, uh, you're in the, you're in the zone, you know, you're out there producing content <laughs> and uh, trying your best to, to reach people and, and provide value. And I think you do a great job. How I stumbled upon you. I think Daryl and I'm I had talked positive. About you. I sent him to you yeah. a okay. while ago. <laughs> Daryl, Daryl sent, sent you to me a while ago. And at the time Guaranteed. it wasn't, it wasn't the right time for us. And so I don't remember exactly what happened, but what I did was I joined this Facebook group about the Toronto housing market bubble. Oh yeah. I'm going to find the person who I think is going to be able to provide us some insight into the market. That is not the rhetoric that we're hearing from all these other guests of ours who have got, mm -hmm. you know, invested interest <coughs> realtors. And they're all telling us the market's good <coughs> developers. And they're all telling us that the market's going to keep going up. And I want to, and I want to just get some more insight because I know our, I know our listeners are, are hoping to hear both sides of the coin. And I know that you are not on one side or the other per se, but you've got a lot of information uh, on both sides and that's why yeah. you're here today. Yeah. Thank you so much. What a great introduction you gave me there. I mean, basically like a little bit about my background, I've been trading now financial markets for five, six years. And basically, I had to, as part of the parcel with that, I had to learn psychology. Psychology of markets is a big thing. And I also ended up stumbling into macroeconomics over the past three, four years. And it's kind of been a passion project of mine. Like, I just find macro and economics incredibly interesting a lot of people find that really boring and that's really why i brought the channel to light was because i find there's so much wrong information out there about especially real estate in canada in particular and that's why i really focus on that point but the the things we talk about on the channel, like FOMO and all these other different things, you can apply those things to any market, not just real estate, any market that's supply and demand based like real estate. Is there a market currently that is not in a bubble? Y yeah, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of value stocks that are still cheap. And, you know, what we've seen recently in financial markets is more of a rotation from tech into value. Um, it's funny because, and I encourage any, anybody to do this, is like once you find stocks and companies you like, create a watch list. And I have a great big long watch list and shopping list. And those companies just aren't cheap enough. They've been going up. So whilst the market's been diving, all the stocks that I'm looking to buy have been going up. So it's like we're seeing a lot of people who are struggling right now on social media. You, you guys probably see it all the time, but they're tech heavy. They don't really understand the economics of tech. Like a lot of tech companies are money losing. They're losing money. So Essentially, if, if interest rates are going up, if their debt costs are going up, they got less chance of growing in the future, and that's why they go down. So I, I guarantee there's a lot of people out there, unfortunately, that are buying the dip 
to bankruptcy on tech right now. Like Shopify, all these stocks have been beaten down, but they're still overvalued. Like I still wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> so do you put you put real estate in that same basket? Yeah, you know, real estate is incredibly overvalued in Canada. And how and how do you judge that? Well, for me, what really underpins the real estate market is wages. Now, there's a lot of speculation and nuance that goes in within real estate, but it's really wages that underpins the real estate market. The main buyers are, you know, people looking to move into that home or whatever. And what you tend to see towards the end of a cycle, and believe me, I've been saying Canadian real estate's in a bubble since 2017, but the difference is I haven't been saying it's going to crash until very recently because I've always been of the thing that we're going to need some sort of catalyst. We're going to need a recession to get a housing market crash. And that's exactly what we're going into right now like the economy is turning and people are looking the other way and you get this fight where there's this incredible amount of volatility like uh i guess we're going to talk about supply at some point because a lot of people are concerned supply across the country is low in certain cities we'll take this for example i just looked before we came on here calgary's supply is up 26 percent in one month one month. So these markets can turn on a dime and people don't really understand that volatility on the way up, it works against you on the way down and it will be equally as volatile. So, and we've just got that hike that just came in a couple of weeks ago and that's the start of a cycle. Like I'm not saying that hike, I, 25 basis, basis points ain't going to do nothing, but it's, it's a warning shot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, you guys know as probably well, the Bank of Canada has been warning people for pretty much a year now to stop. And yeah. people have been ignoring it. The year after they told us, like, don't worry, like, take on <laughs> yeah. as much as you can. Five years at least. Don't worry about it. Oh, that was a bad idea. Hang on a sec. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know that variable rate you were uh, counting on for the next five years? Uh, <laughs> yeah so there's, no. uh, the first thing you mentioned was wages so let's talk let's talk about that you said the very first the first comment yeah. you made right you said the reason yeah. why it's overvalued is wages yeah explain that yeah so basically if you look at wages right now for example they're actually negative real terms so when i look at housing prices i'm growth wise re- what's that sorry growth wise they're negative yes yeah, yeah. so because of inflation when, so you're, you're earning less money yeah. exactly yeah so when i talk about housing prices i'm specifically talking about real housing price growth not um nominal so nominal is when without inflation forget inflation um, real house price growth is factoring in government measured inflation let's call it because as you and i both very useful tool here let's bring in the cpi that works okay yeah but you know that is what businesses use and unions and all these other things use to justify wage increases so yeah exactly so but wages have been negative and house price growth has exploded so what does that mean? That means that the household balance sheet, the free cash flow that people have is getting less and less and less, heading into a more and more precarious time economically. So if somebody loses a job, they're screwed. They don't have the money 
to absorb that and people don't even think about that that i don't think anymore <laughs> they do but they figure that they'll just you know take some money out of their house that'll go up two hundred thousand this year and i don't have to work <laughs> who cares yeah that's just and that type of thinking is exactly what caused 2008 it's exactly this bet on housing it's no listen it's no different than all of us eating mcdonald's it's been marketed to us as a really good idea right everybody is sitting there being taught like hey heloc great idea let's do this right you can have money whenever you need it it's not a credit card it's right you're, yeah, you're going to be fine. Don't worry, because prices you're going to earn. Up. You're going to earn more interest uh, on the investment than don't you're going to be paying in the stock on the debt. market. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, don't worry. I got a hot I got a hot tech stock. So <laughs> I watched your video that you just put out and you were talking about wages as an issue. And what I thought of and you can correct me when I'm wrong, which I probably will be. But I, I believe that we are importing a lot of that wage growth. I mean, isn't one of our immigration uh, standards that people have a certain level of wealth or income or a business somewhere. Uh, like, aren't we bringing in some fairly wealthy people that can just even afford to buy these houses cash in, uh, in a lot of cases? Yeah. yeah. So you are, that is a fantastic point that you make right there. Great talking point And uh, one that I'm sure your viewers will appreciate as well. But basically Obviously, I'm an immigrant. But, I, yeah. <laughs> I come from England. <laughs> but the, the thing is, like with everything, the, the immigration <laughs> is only one side of the story. Like Canada. So there's so many different angles to this, which we can take. But let's look at birth rate. You know, the birth rate is our natural population growth here, which is just terrible. It's one of the worst in the G20. And why is that? Well, that's because the government's selling out. And essentially, instead of improving what's happening here in Canada, they're just importing people. Now, I'd agree with you on the fact that importing people keeps the economy going to a certain point. Because without that, it would be very difficult because Canada's birth rate is just so low. And uh, but the main thing with when it comes to immigration and you talked about the you hit a bit about the process there is, yeah, there are a small number of people that come over with money. But that's the same in any other Western country like Canada is not unique at all in that respect. And in fact, in the US, it's even worse. So then you got to kind of say, well, why in the US after 2008 wasn't housing prices going up? Because they were still importing lots of rich people. Lots of rich people were moving to the US. Um, but the thing is, over here, what we've done, and it really, you can only blame Justin Trudeau for this, unfortunately, because it really started in 2015 was when it That's started. That's a good idea for the thumbnail, Daryl. writing it down right now (laughs) yeah and people in the gta they need to stop voting for this clown um but but this guy essentially what he said was we need to like these these conversations as i discussed on the live stream are going on within government hey guys how come we're we're not growing the population in Canada. How are we going to deal with that? Well, let's import more people. Well, the problem they're now facing is, as we've seen with labor shortages, is a lot of the people that aren't, a lot of, pe- a lot of the people that are coming aren't skilled. 
Um, they're very low skilled. In fact, around 50, 60 percent, you can look up on StatsCan, uh, the immigration statistics are the CC class. This class of becoming a permanent resident, the entry requirements are so low, so low. Like you can be admin um, is one of the jobs. Like you can just be an administrator. You can get through on the Canadian experience class. And there is lots of little loopholes within the system that make it not a immigration system that favors the skilled people. A lot of people get in using student visas. A lot of people get in using co-op and IEC visas. So there's, there's big holes in the immigration system and the tiniest proportion of the immigration is skilled, that skilled worker. And it's shrinking. That's the thing over the past five years, what Trudeau's had to do is drop the bar, the points required in order to increase the amount of people coming because there's not enough of people with enough money, the skills to, because money is part of your points when you come to Canada and your skills is also part of that. And there's not enough people with that high bar. So I think it was around 600 points when we started that was the bar that they set in 2015 when they brought out the express entry system. And now it's gone down. I think they're drawing around 300. So it's dropped a lot. Which makes sense, gonna- right? I mean, that's, that's what they do. When they set the uh, immigration targets, they have to look at, well, like, how do we get more people, right? And so yeah. they, market, they market to the country to, you know, foreign nationals, people who are out there in different parts of the world say, come to Canada. They, you know, create new programs to incentivize people to be able to come, right? So whether it's yeah. giving them uh, easier access to Canada or getting getting them set up here. So we're talking a lot about um, uh, fast-tracking people who have, uh, you know, degrees and certifications and stuff like that. We want them to be able to come here and get certified a lot quicker. And then, of course, what you're talking about. Be able to use the their certification would be a good idea. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. So lo- lowering the bar to entry as well, too, right? So. I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to pick on the immigrants. I like the immigrants. I am pro-immigration. I agree yeah. with you. It does not solve the Canadian housing market crisis. Yes. 100%. We, we have so much evidence of that. Even in 2018, we had 385,000 yeah. people come and the market, you know, wasn't, you know, uh, you know, crazy, right? We had a lot of issues that year. That was uh, Vancouver and BC. They had their foreign virus tax. So that impacted. We had the same thing put in and uh, that same year. So the markets weren't going up and yet we were having record numbers of people, actual people moving to Canada, not just shuffling around people who are already here. So I I agree. Immigration, when people talk to me and they say, well, the immigrants are going to, you know, bail us out no matter what. No, they're not. Yeah. And you know, another, another quick thing is their salaries that they're actually bringing in a 30% less on average, like 20 to 30% less. So these Mm -hmm. people aren't coming in and, getting the best of jobs you know it's yeah. uh, I, I sold i sold a house two or three weeks ago and there was four names on the agreement right so they are all you know i asked them too and i said well what are you know who are these four people and, and they explained to me who they were you know family members and yeah. i asked them well, what kind of jobs do they have and i was like well this guy works in the bank and this one works in retail and this one works in it and you know they had these jobs that were you know i'm sure great jobs and secure and, and everything else too right but none of them are the high paying jobs and uh you know they're paying 1.2 million dollars for a house yeah right that's crazy man 
Nice. Nice. Alberta, Alberta talk. Think about that. Think about <laughs> what you're getting in Alberta, right? $1.2 million. That's a nice house. You don't need to get a $1.2 million house in Alberta. In Toronto, you have to get a $1.2 million house in, in, in order to average prices. People all live there. You want a single kids. family house? You need 2 million bones. Detached, oh, detached, detached single family. Right. Yeah. I was thinking that this morning, like from Luke's perspective or anybody's perspective in Alberta, where you're looking at numbers, numbers, numbers. I mean, we look at the numbers too, but when you're in Toronto and you're like selling real estate and you're doing deals and it's like, it's fucking bananas here. Like you get desensitized though. But it's yeah. so, it, it's, 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 yeah. It sucks you in more. You feel like it's bigger. Yeah, it's two million, more good deal, good deal. Yeah, yeah, two million. Deal. I got a pool. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, whereas <laughs> in Alberta, we we look and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. And I think that Alberta is protected. I would say any major, the major city, and I know nothing about Calgary market. I know it's a Canadian real estate show, but you know, look at the yeah, Toronto background yeah. in it. The Calgary market, I would say, is and Alberta markets are still the most undervalued, or at least at least the smallest bubbles. Because mm-hmm. people there have had more experience through housing market changes than they have in Vancouver and Toronto. The areas like Moncton and St. John and these other areas, oh my God, like bubble crazy, bubble central, right? Because these people just had no idea how to deal with something like that. They've never, they've never seen their prices rise in 30 years, right? So they have no idea up and down markets, right? And those markets, I think, are the most vulnerable. Saskatchewan's um, gonna have like a crazy little run up, aren't they? Saskatchewan's getting a run up too. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna yeah. get. They, they haven't faced the same the same turmoil like like the Alberta markets have. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody but there must be like uh, getting wheat jobs right now. Wheat must be going <laughs> crazy. Everybody <laughs> must be like trying to grow wheat in their backyards right now. Yeah, God is. Just Quebec a... is always undervalued too. Let's I don't talk really about that. About the Quebec market. Let's talk about commodities. Mm-hmm. You touch on that a lot in your videos, like commodities are crazy. Yeah, they, they've been going up in price lots. And, you know, when I see these major price, when, when I see things go up in a straight line, like we've seen with oil, I, I, it's just not sustainable. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down at some point. Um, whether it's a correction and then it goes higher is another thing. But when you see things shooting up like 100, 150%, within a month, like likes happen with some of the grains and different things, then you know that those aren't going to be sustainable. But the commodity prices in general, yeah, that that's just going along with inflation, really, because what we're seeing with oil prices, gas prices, that's right. going to put the prices up of everything. And, and, and so are those going to drive Canadian markets in the short term? In what In what sort of sense? Well, people are going to have a lot more money when wheat just tripled or quadrupled and oil is at 120 something dollars a barrel. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, like, is this not going to drive economies for a while? No, because the cost of doing business has shot up so much now, like inflation Mm. for businesses Mm. is even higher. So it's just like it's ridiculous, like farmers, for instance. So I was at a ranch and this was last year in the fall. And it was a big, um, it wasn't a ranch. It was a fertilizer depot. What the hell am I on about? Um, but anyway, I was at where all the ranchers come in, right? Because it was a fertilizer thing outside of Calgary. And I was listening to what they were all saying. And they were saying fertilizer prices are skyrocketing. And they were saying that these guys, they're not going to be able to, they're saying they're driving around these brand new pickup trucks that they just bought over the past couple of years. 
And now they're going to have to fork out for this fertilizer. And they said, a couple of them have already said that they can't afford it. And it's just like, well, then that just contracts the supply even more of what agricultural food that we are growing here. So, and the thing, the similar things are happening in the oil industry. So interesting thing, you touched on oil there, the energy, and you're going to laugh at this, but if you look at the statistics from StatsCan, the energy industry has been contracting since October. So it's actually, it's actually going smaller at a time when it should be growing bigger. And the thing is, a lot of banks just aren't interested because we've got a government that is just completely out to lunch and saying, we're going to go green, we're going to go green, we're going to grow all the, we're going to grow, we're going to build all these solar panels, guys. But the plastics that they're made out of, which come from oil, forget about those, we'll just create them out of fresh air or import them from Saudi Arabia. Like, the thing is, you can't just go green, like, I'm all for going green, but you got to do it in a sustainable way. Like, I think everybody is clever enough to know within Canada that the government is completely out to lunch on this. Like they've got it way wrong and they're offside. And, and the government, just, uh, hold on a sec. The government is offside about something. Really? <laughs> That's the, the crazy. Oil, the, the oil companies, Daryl have, uh, uh, you know, they've been scorned, you know, they're, they're, they, they know what this looks like when oil prices go up and they ramp up production and they bring in all these investors and then oil prices drop down again. Like, you know, shame on, shame on you. Right. If you fool me uh, once, Six shame times. on me. If you fool me twice, that's what it is. Right. So <laughs> yeah. that, it, it's, 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 it's not that simple. Oil prices right now are going up uh, after they, after they refine it, how do they ship it? You know, where, do they, where does it go from there? You know, where, where, what's the avenue to be able to ensure the sustainability and yeah, unfortunately, it just really means higher business expenditures right now. That's it. It just means right now, in order to run those businesses, it costs more. Yeah. And they're Both. heavily indebted too. Those oil companies are heavily indebted. Oh, they're, yeah. Yeah. they're in trouble like for like the next, however long they're in business for. They're, they're heavily indebted, right? So yeah. a lot of concern. So both of you, si- go ahead, both, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Both of you have said sustainable, like I don't even know how many times in the past five minutes. So like- and I have it right here at the top of my page. Is it sustainable? So, I mean, you, you've been talking for years about it not being sustainable. People have been talking for years longer than you about it not being sustainable. We've been sitting here since the show started going like, how Let long can this last? <laughs> Is it sustainable? Yeah. Like, yeah. maybe we're not defining sustainable properly anymore because it seems to be sustaining quite fine. And, and, yeah. and I like I agree that like there has to be a catalyst, but like, what's it gonna be? I mean, we've had um, if you go back to two thousand till now, there have been many a catalyst that many would have thought would have plunged markets. But what everybody knows, but somehow doesn't take into consideration, is like this endless spigot of printed money that just constantly comes into the picture right so 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 we we got to talk about that because that is one thing that i definitely wanted to hit on because people have a very flawed view of what printing of money is and that that term is thrown around a lot oh crap yeah i saw your video on it let's uh let's talk about it hold on hold on see your face though too 
the viewers want to see your face. The listeners, you know, they hear no matter can what. You on Spotify. Can, can you hear me? We can hear you. Yeah, hold on one sec. I don't know what the what on earth has happened to okay. my camera here. I'm just trying to. This is okay. So, so Daryl, let's elaborate on your point. Your point, though. So your point is basically we've seen, we've heard this song and dance before. We've the Toronto housing market bubble group that I found. Uh, you know, your post in Luke. Yeah. Honestly, like everybody's been crying wolf for for how long? There's one guy who was trolling our comments for a long time too, right? Who was. Naked butt guy? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Who is also, you know, adamant about things changing and people have been calling for it. I had a client one time where they, uh, 10 years ago, they were looking at $300,000 houses in the East End. They told me, oh man, this market's crazy. It's, you know, a $30,000 increase in three months. I can't believe it. And yeah. they didn't buy, they rented a house, never heard from them again. But the brother who, who I know very well, told me not that long ago and says, you know, they're still renting, waiting for the market to crash. And that same $300,000 house would be about $1.4 or $5 million right now. So there's no way it's going back down to 300. So mm -hmm. even if there was a well, correction, they missed out know. on an opportunity to get in 10 years ago, right? So um, listen, I, I agree with you. Like this thing is unsustainable. Don't get me wrong on yeah. any level. I mean, if you have half a brain, you have to see that this is fucking crazy right but if the answer is um here's another 400 billion and the dollar doesn't move because everybody's doing it and it's the cool thing to do how do you model what could happen so basically when we're talking about like sustainability and i want to go over this mon money printing thing because it's I even throw that term around, but all money now after 2008 is created through the commercial banking system. So the conversation which I have with a lot of people on my channel as well is they have this flawed kind of view on how money comes into existence. They're like, well, the money supply has increased this much. So that means that housing's going to go up this much. And I'm like, that's not the way it works. It's much more complicated than that. Well, it's not that complicated at all, to be honest. Basically, money is debt. So when you're talking about all of this money that's entered existence over the past two years, that's happened because of debt. If the debt wasn't created, the money wouldn't be there. The supply wouldn't have grown. So the two ways that money comes into existence are through people taking out loans or the government deficit spending being monetized by the central bank. And that's not QE. QE doesn't affect anything, actually, as we like QE is just increasing bank reserves for banks. Like that's all QE is like a lot of downward pressure on interest rates. Yes, exactly. And it's artificial. Yeah. And that's the that, that's the main concern, because when they do this, they always inflate bubbles. And in the case of Canada, it's like a super bubble, as Jeremy Grantham says. So the thing is, sustainability like it's hard for anybody to pinpoint when it's going to turn and when it's going to crash but i really believe that it's when you start to get people just blindly accepting that prices are going to go up forever which i think universally now is mostly accepted in the major markets like toronto and vancouver people people even if they are saying about risk 
they're still buying this massive house and taking on a load of risk. So if they seriously believe that it was going to go down, they put their money where their mouth is and they'd sit on the sidelines. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do either, but I'm saying that it's become so like ingrained into people. I don't know if that's the right word, just people have got it in their heads that it's just going to continually go up. And what that has meant is people have just increased the leverage, increased the leverage, increased the leverage. So we have to think about it like this. This is the best way of thinking about it. The wages aren't going up, as we know, but the credit is expanding, expanding, expanding. So the payments are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the households are getting more vulnerable, more vulnerable, more vulnerable. So the bigger it gets, the more risk there is that it pops and starts contracting. And I really think the catalyst to this is sustained unemployment. And it's like I said, um, with any market, with anything generally, if you see things reverse very, very fast, it's generally not sustainable. So like, I'll give you 2020 as an example, we saw unemployment just skyrocket within a period of a couple of months. It was totally not sustainable, and that reversed pretty quickly, as it did in most countries across the world. But the thing is, I think what we're going to start to see towards the end of this year is unemployment start to come in, start to tick up slowly, but it's going to gain as we go into the future. This economy is just built up on sticks, essentially, and you know, you've got this house that weighs tons and tons and it's built on sticks and you're just adding more weight to that house in terms of debt. And eventually those sticks and the foundation is just going to break and then it's all over. And unfortunately with the case of leverage, because Canadians are like some of the most over leveraged people in the world, when it does go, it could set records in terms of like declines that we see who knows like it is impossible for somebody to forecast how low or how not in the case how not low it's going to go because it is just there's so much leverage in the system and one thing that i think is interesting to watch is what's happening in new zealand and i think you guys were on that live stream which i was talking about that is because they're they're about six months ahead of us give or take and, you know, there are a couple more hikes down the road and already the banks that were the ones like in Canada saying, hey, government, please rein in lending are now saying do not rein in lending, because if you rein in lending, there's going to be unintended consequences. And what they mean is the credit bubble is going to contract. And as soon as that happens, it's game over. It's done. And in the case of all bubbles, they all go. Some last longer than others. Um, Canada is in like a super bubble, but they've happened in the past before. And, you know, Canada has been in bubbles before, but people brush those ones under the carpets. So like in 1989 and stuff like that. But and, you know, the the other interesting thing is in 2016, whenever it was that markets went down in Toronto and Vancouver, and really, I was actually living in Toronto at that time. So I was closely monitoring what was going on around. But I think even you probably know this is um, like a lot of the suburb markets were actually going up at that time. 
like you saw Toronto was going down as a city, but other markets like Burlington, they were actually going up. So it wasn't like flat out declines across the board. But even still, you had Home Capital Group basically needing to be bailed out by the Ontario government. And at that point, it was very interesting because nobody even connects the dots on this either, is the Canadian dollar traded very low when that happened. There was a, an immediate sell-off in the Canadian dollar when Home Capital Group Oh, I've lost it again. What is going on with this? You know, as you guys know, I do live streams all the time and I've never had this problem before. It's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. Yeah, that's 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 a good point as, as far as where markets have changed in the past. And you mentioned 1989. Um, I feel like they're different two, now. Two, 2017. There's so, many, there's so many things. Canadian dollar, unemployment, immigration, interest rates. This is a whole new situation that we're in. It is uncharted waters. I don't, yeah. I don't believe anybody on, even myself, on what their predictions are for the future. Like it's just especially too, you. <laughs> I've stopped making, I've stopped making predictions. I'm no longer even telling clients that I know exactly what's going to happen in three months from now. It's like the next few weeks. This is what I see and what is most likely to happen. But after that. There's just so much going on in the world right now. I, I think money just works so different than it used to now that like, I mean, I, I understand how money works in the background like you do. Most people mm -hmm. definitely do not. Um, but they, they seem to come up with some great ways to continuously flood the markets with more and more and more money. And, and, and so you, you bring up a good point about wages and, and employment numbers. And what I wrote down here uh, earlier is like, what's going to happen in the next decade uh, as automation really starts to take hold of a lot of people's jobs and you know, jobs are going to change. I know. And, you know, technology creates new jobs, blah, blah, blah. But like the technologies coming down the pipe here are specifically designed to eliminate jobs completely. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we have things coming down the pipe, like, like driving autonomously. Um, we have warehousing that is like already on a next level and just increasing robotics and automation, like insanity coming down the pipe. Uh, construction, there's all kinds of cool things that are maybe more than a decade away. DeFi will change how many employees banks have uh, and work from home. Like all of these things right now are simultaneously happening as, well, employment numbers look good right now, right? But like what's going to happen in the next decade is, I mean, you're saying your models rely heavily on wage growth and employment numbers. So in my imagination, those things are getting destroyed in the next decade. Well, yeah, and you, you mentioned a good point. And another thing is that a lot of people don't factor in is the boomers that are all retiring right now. Like there has been a massive surge in retirement over the past two years. And as we've seen with labor shortages, we don't have the people to fill those jobs. So I think what what is even more of a risk and we're already seeing it right now is companies aren't able to grow because they can't attract the talent and especially that's going to be in the case of toronto and vancouver because if you've got a doctor and they're looking to come to toronto or vancouver and then they're going to look at the states 
and be like, I can get paid 50% more down there and I can buy a mansion in Georgia for like a million bucks, whereas I'm getting like a, a shoebox in Toronto for that. <laughs> it's just how long does free healthcare work <laughs> yeah. as a as a sales tool? Well, yeah, exactly. When your job but hold on, we have free healthcare. <clears throat> and yeah. you bring up a good point, actually, something that I've never talked about. And and you know, will he- will free healthcare even be sustainable? Like, are we going to lose some of those benefits? And I'm not joking because I'm all for universal healthcare. I'm all for immigration as well. But the thing is, is it sustainable when you're not able to attract the talent? Like you've either got to jack up taxes or you've got to privatize it so you can attract more people to come. The quality of the healthcare too. So it's like, yes, mm-hmm. I'm getting it for free. But if I <laughs> like, if you, if you go to Healthcare Connect right now, and you, that's the Ontario um, uh, Provincial uh, you know, Medical Authority that assigns people uh, doctors when they're looking for, for doctors. So this is you know, for people in all parts of Ontario. And if you go on that website and you sign up for, uh, sign up for their um, uh, placement or whatever they call it, it's going to take you years to be able to get a family doctor through that channel. Wow. Okay? Because it, we don't have enough doctors to go around and it will be literally infinite amount of time that you'll be waiting until that doctor comes. Cause as more people get on the list and less and more doctors retire, what, like, how are they, how are they going to find you a doctor? So that's actually a really good point is not just will healthcare exist, but how, 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 how much of an incentive is it when, you know, you're talking to your friends or saying, yeah, healthcare is free. I was sick on Wednesday and I got an appointment next January you know, and that's going to be, you know, and I died first <laughs> or, or a surgery, go and look into how long these Ouch. surgeries take and, and how many people go to the States and travel to the States to be able to get the elected surgeries because of they could uh, refinance their timelines. house and afford it. And they can exactly right. They can, <laughs> they can get a loan for it. Right. So that, that's a, that's a really good incentive. The other part to immigration too, is how many, how many of the best people really do want to move here knowing the situation that we have. Right? Mm. How much? What is this? The is this the the best of the best, or is this just the people who couldn't get into the other countries? Well, you you if you you know, I mm. heard something. I spoke. I mm. know an immigration consultant in Toronto, and uh, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago because I was asking. I phoned him, and I knew he was going to be in Poland. It's a good idea for a guest, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Danny DeVito. I'd name him, but I'd name him. We'll find our own. I'd name him, but I'm not sure if he would want to be named, but he always goes to these places. So when uh, Syria and all that stuff was happening, he went to Turkey and he was helping the migrants come to Canada. So he's been over in Poland trying to help some of these Ukrainians come to Canada. And he said, a lot of them are saying it's too expensive. We don't want to go there. We'll just stay in Europe. (laughs) Can you believe that? (laughs) We'll stay here. It's okay. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Uh, that's the insanity we're getting to oh and, and i and i think we're seriously virgin and i haven't even factored this in but really people should be there's a massive political risk to the housing market that the government does something and accidentally pops the bubble because it's happened before and they could do it indirectly with interest rates but I think there's more of a case that they might actually do something because it's like I was talking about in my live stream the other night, the conversations of why we can't attract talent are going on and everybody's going to be saying housing, 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 housing. 
And, uh, you know, you're a developer. So you see all these NIMBY people saying, no, you're not building here. Well, the funny thing is, it was exactly like that in the UK for years and years and years and years. And then 2015 or 2014, whenever the Conservative Party came in power, they literally changed all the development rules. And even though they're still having these meetings and the NIMBYs are still all there, they're building everywhere now. And the thing is, Canada doesn't even need the supply. Like, we have enough homes. Now, there are certain nuances, like Toronto doesn't have enough single family because they ran out of land. Um, But they build up. Like, Vancouver's the same. And Calgary just builds outwards. So there's way more single, single family homes here than in places like Toronto. But uh, I think that the the developer side of things, that could change as well. I don't know if that would impact things much, though, because builders, are they going to be incentivized to, to build? I there, don't know. There's increasingly better opportunities out there. The problem right. is, is with real estate, like we're a breed, you know, like we, we know what we're doing. We like it. It's not that difficult. You don't have to be a rocket scientist and really you can rinse and repeat. So it's like, there's a lot of fear in going to something else when you know this works, but increasingly the margins get squeezed or mm-hmm. become uh, less predictable, especially right now. It's just insane. Like, yeah like have you heard what condos are selling for new construction here pre-construction condos no what are they selling for like i'm seeing things 1800 a square foot 1600 a square foot over 2000 a square foot in downtown in in outskirts like uh, scarborough now is over 1100 a square foot Uh, (laughs) that's such a dumb like (laughs) hey is that why you're from (laughs) He's got a project. There, he's though. got a project there. I'm a Scarborough boy. That's okay. He's a but uh, he's got no, a project there, and but, and but it is on. and it is the most undervalued part of Toronto, which is why the developers are going there because that's the only place you in can droves. make money. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't you can't make money in any of the other locations to go and buy a piece of land there and build. Good luck. Good luck. But it, but, but 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 what I'm getting at is like it is insane. And all of us here, and I, I've tweeted this in the past, is this is the only industry where all the salespeople are like, hold on a sec, this is crazy. We better <laughs> slow this thing down, right? You don't see that anywhere. You don't see guys selling stocks going like, okay, calm down, go down, <laughs> drop. We need a drop now. This is not healthy, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so, so yeah. like this whole thing is just getting so bananas. But what happens? Year after year, after year after year, no matter what they put in front of it, whether it's a 9-11 attack, whether it's an oil crisis, whether it's a financial world financial crisis, whether it's wheat commodity prices, like so far, whether it's a pandemic, like so far, it's been very hard to knock this train off the tracks. Right. Yeah. And they keep trying and the world keeps trying and whatever it is. And me personally, I see these commodities as being super important over the next decade and all this stuff that we yank out of the ground here in Canada. Mm-hmm. I can't help but see in this current economic like game with the rules that are in place, how there isn't a crazy boom town here. 
even knowing that like it makes no sense this thing should have crashed like 15 years ago 20 years ago maybe 30 years ago here's my question here's my question okay in order for prices to go down real estate which is is a real estate show it means that sellers have to be willing to sell for less than their neighbors did Mm -hmm. and it means that buyers no longer have the means to and and capabilities and desire to pay those prices right because right now if you put up something for 10 percent lower than what it sold for a month ago buyers are all going to jump on it so give me a sort of scenario hypothetical where that would lead to prices going down. So sellers become what financially stressed. They've lost their jobs. Now they're forced to sell. A lot of sellers come on the market. Buyers no longer can afford. What's the, give me just a quick breakdown of how prices would go down. Yeah. So when you're selling, like for instance, banks, packaging loans and everything like that, once they continue to not be able to do that, and you start to see the loan growth go down, that's when credit conditions can change. So in the example of the GFC, the GFC, for instance, is a good talking point because Canada obviously didn't suffer that. So why didn't they suffer that? Because credit conditions did change, you know, for not that long here in Canada because they didn't really suffer the turmoil yeah there was unemployment but it was short-lived but why why is that what's the what was going on there and essentially the reason why canada sailed past the gfc is because the private debt the debt that was held by corporations was low it was relatively low relatively stable but what happened was by avoiding that crisis it inflated a bubble in private debt so corporations have been piling on debt for the past since the gfc pretty much and since since all this started with the health crisis it's gone up drastically so a scenario where things change is going to be where credit conditions change and and that's where i really think it's going to come i think it's going to come out the banking system and i think it's going to be credit conditions changing i don't think i think you'll still see a lot of people want to buy and they're not they're not going to be able to buy because either the banks have got the rates too high because they're pricing in a lot of risk with the borrowers or they're just not willing to write the appraisals. So one thing that happened after the GFC was, um, and a lot of people don't know this is, well, you guys know this, for instance, you know this side at least, banks will write up appraisals when prices are going up. They'll do that. And the way the appraisal process is done is ridiculous anyway, because the bank is essentially getting the appraiser (laughs) to go and appraise it, whereas it should be the actual buyer has to source an independent appraiser to do the appraiser. And that's how they get away with all these houses going at over asking prices, like way above it. But a lot of the reason they get away with that too is because they can say, well, prices are going up. So the chances are it's going to be worth that in a couple of months. But the thing is on the way down, that works again in a compounding effect because they'll do the opposite. And they did it in the GFC. They did it in the UK. The appraisals, they were writing them down. So then people were yeah. really struggling. 2017, here we yeah. yeah. I so, remember when we were buying the house in June, we were like waiting on the appraisal and we were like, I don't know if I paid too much. How much more I paid? Was it the right price? 
And of course, the appraisal came in right at exactly the price that I paid for. It was like magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why it isn't is. it like 10 or 20 grand more or less? Yeah. How did that right? happen? And, yeah. and, and, you know, Abe on Twitter, I forget his second name, but you may have been uh, on a couple of the Deer Point macro Twitter spaces. I swear I've seen. I know Abe, yeah. Yeah. So, so Abe was talking about the 1989 bubble. And I've heard, a, I've spoke to a couple of people about this who are older, who actually experienced it. And um, what he said, it, it was really credit conditions. That was what changed then. And I think that's what's going to change. I think it was the rule. There were rules that changed in the late 80s around how you could use losses in real estate as a write-off against other income. And right. that vanished. And all of a sudden, I was very young. This is what I hear from people that I know in the industry is yeah. that is what kind of screwed everything up in the market because all these people that were buying housing at inflated prices with no cash flow or actually on purpose with negative cash flow to offset yeah. their income as a doctor or a dentist or whatever, <laughs> you know, they're making piles of cash, don't know what to do with it. They get swindled by get some guy that goes, Hey, you know, you want to make some money in real estate, right? Uh, and, but that that's what happened in the late eighties. But again, like I look at the, I look at all the charts and the data and I don't see anything after 2000. Like I think things are a, Things are manipulated way more now since 2001 to mm -hmm. a point where markets can't really react at all. It's like, this is what we want the market to do right now based on how it just react to the last thing we threw at it. Let's see if this works because we do want perpetual steady growth one way or another. I think everybody as a, as a society has agreed on this and we're all willing to like go like this as long as we get that, right? Even yeah. maybe we're all willing to accept a little 50% CPI for a couple of years <laughs> if we have to, right? Yeah. But like this is, this is kind of the path we're on where it's like this unsustainable I mean, if you are an economist and you look at the 30-year chart of, of Canada's real estate or Toronto's real estate, it is a very sustainable, beautiful pattern. Like mm -hmm. you, you could like predict the future based on it, you would think, right? Yeah. It's yeah. So, so, and then that goes back to that whole wages thing. Did the wages grow with that? How is the household? Because, you know, if wages were growing, I wouldn't disagree. I'd say it's totally sustainable. We got nothing to worry about here. But, but how does the stress test come into play if wages aren't at a level that can carry these loans? Even like, isn't that the whole point is like, I went through such a ring of maru to get my mortgage. You have no idea. So I can't even imagine somebody that's like right on that edge, what they have to do, but they're getting the loan. So how are these tests working if we're all worried that like even a, a, a six raises is still supposed to work within that test isn't it well yeah you know you make a good point there and in 20 <laughs> so i i experienced in 2020 i i decided we're going to get pre-approved for a mortgage we're going to see what the lending industry is really like so we went to the bank got pre-approved and uh, if we'd maxed out what they said we could afford, which at the time I think was around $700,000, like there's no way that would have been sustainable in terms of our balance sheet where everything's gone. Now, sustainable with taking money out of the house in a home equity line of credit because it's gone up like 50, 100 grand. 
yeah, you can sustain yourself that way, but only for so long. So these stress tests, I'm not sure they work that great because we went through it. And um, then we went to a broker and, you know, you only have to ring around a couple of times to find somebody. We'll waive the, we'll waive, waive all this for 1% fee, 2% fee. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that is pretty bad. But I don't really think that that'll be the klutz of what ends this all. Because, you know, 2008 is a great example of where everybody believes it was the subprime crisis, right, that caused that. It was bad lending, bad loans, and all the other financial instruments that went on. But you can argue the fact that that would have been fine as long as prices didn't go down and the values of those products that they created, even though they were bad and highly leveraged, would have maintained their value. So it would have continued onwards. But what killed it was unemployment. And the thing that they did a study in 2017, um, I want to say it's the National Bureau of Labor Statistics in the States, but I don't think it was. But you can Google it. You can find out about it. Um, it was called something like rewriting the narrative of 2008. And basically what they found out was in 2008, most of the people who entered foreclosure, power of sale and everything like that were people with good credit who were over leveraged. It wasn't subprime as the media went with that story. And why would the media run with that story? Because they want they have an interest because then it's like, oh, let's blame that guy. Because if it's people with good credit, then who's going to be blamed? The banks. So they control the media, manipulate the media, and they push that narrative. And then in 2017, that came out. It was like publicized two or three places. Like it was not big news. But the facts are out there. All that data has been analyzed. And uh, that goes to show that you can have good credit. These people had good credit. And mm -hmm. they went under, and it's they had to, they had to point leverage. the figures. The shady, the shady mortgage brokers, the subprime guys, the guys who, uh, you know, can can be point the figure out and shut down. Because if you start looking at the big guys like the the banks and and whether it's J.P. Morgan or whoever's you know taking the responsibility, they're the guys who are going to get bailed out, which then yeah. becomes a much a much bigger issue uh, overall. Luke, we we want to have you back on the show later on. Okay, we're at we're at the end of the show today. But uh, you, you yeah, had some amazing insights and some really, really nice comments. And I, like I said, I, I never want to claim that we know everything. I never want to we just don't. say that we're <laughs> only providing information that's, you know, headed in one direction. Because sometimes we do uh, end up a little bit too much on the, uh, on the bullhorn. But mm -hmm. um, I think with, with your information today, it gives people insight to be able to make a decision on what they want to do. And there's definitely a lot of stuff going on out there. Something will change eventually. That mm -hmm. I know for sure. No doubt. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. Uh, I want everyone to go check out your channel. Hopefully Luke it's Smith. the government. Sorry. Hopefully it's the government. Yeah. Um, any, any other handles? What else? You got Twitter? Yeah. So if you want to reach me on Twitter, it's Market Mania CA. If you just throw in the search on YouTube, Market Mania Canada, it'll come up. And I don't proclaim to be any sort of experts. You know, I haven't got seven PhDs and all these different things like that. But I learn practical economics, the things that actually work in terms of 
you know, that sort of thing and practical psychology as well. Not all this stuff that's learned at universities, which I, again, just think is, I mean, there's so much stuff we could talk about, guys. Makes you a good YouTuber. Yeah. (laughs) Right? All those other things don't make you a good YouTuber, you know? (laughs) Seems to be the formula. I could talk to Luke forever. I could talk to you guys forever. We've got to do this again. We appreciate it, though. We appreciate it. Thanks for waking up early, especially on the uh, the, uh, daylight savings time days. Uh, (laughs) I know that's brutal, but uh, we, we appreciate you coming on the show today. Check yeah, them out. pleasure. Thank Everybody, you. check him out. We both like him. He was great. Thank you so much. Thanks. New on Curiosity Stream: Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are twenty dollars, just a dollar sixty-seven a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.